Uh, Turn with me tonight to Acts chapter 16. Now, even though I announced last Lord's Day evening that I was going to attempt to preach on the subject, is hell for real? Of course, it's always a preacher's prerogative to change. And uh, for any who wanted to hear that message tonight, you're going to be disappointed because I've changed the message uh, from this afternoon. And uh, given, of course, that this is St. Patrick's Day, Uh, We're going to be thinking tonight about learning from the life and legacy of St. Patrick. So Acts chapter 16, let's read the first few verses. Acts chapter 16. Let's read from verse 1. Then came he to Derbe and Lystra, and behold, a certain disciple was there named Timotheus, the son of a certain woman who was a Jewess and believed, but his father was a Greek, which was well reported of by the brethren that were at Lystra and Iconium. Him would Paul have to go forth with him and took and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters, for they knew all that his father was a Greek. And as they went through the cities, they delivered Then the decrees were to keep that were ordained of the apostles and elders which were at Jerusalem. And so were the churches established in the faith and increased in number daily. Now when they were gone through Phygera and the region of Galata and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia, after they were come to Mysia, they assuaged to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered them not. And they passing by Messiah came down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. We'll end the reading there at verse 10. We pray God will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of the scriptures. Now, my text tonight is taken from Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. And this evening, I want us to learn from the life and legacy of St. Patrick. Today is the 17th of March. 17th of March every year is known as St. Patrick's Day. St. Patrick's Day is celebrated not just here in Northern Ireland and in the Republic of Ireland, but in many places where there's a very strong Irish presence throughout the world. Think of the St. Patrick's Day parade in New York. There's already been a parade in Belfast and in Dublin and in Armagh and in Downpatrick and in London and no doubt in many other places. Now, St. Patrick is viewed as the patron saint of Ireland. And I want to say tonight that that's a title that I totally and utterly reject. Now, St. Patrick was a saint. And you're going to ask me, well, how and when did he become a saint? And I'm going to answer that in the course of this service. 
But I want to tell you tonight at the very outset, he was not the patron saint of Ireland. And it's important that we learn to separate fact from fiction. There's a lot of fictional things told and talked about Patrick. There's no evidence he ever wore a mitre. No evidence that he carried a shepherd's crook. No evidence that he banished the snakes out of Ireland. Do you know why? Because there never were any here in the first place. There's no evidence that he was the patron saint of Ireland. But he was nevertheless a saint. And I'll explain the difference. I want to take you back in your mind tonight about 1,300 years. I want you to travel, get in a time machine, and travel back to the 7th century. So we're thinking about the Ireland of the 7th century. Did you know it was known back then as the land of saints and scholars? A land where there was many saints. Not just one saint, but many. And Patrick, of course, was one of them. In those days, the true Christian church was very strong. It was deeply biblical. And, of course, it was an evangelistic church that was bright for the Lord. It's known in history as the Celtic Church. And if you Google that, you'll get a lot of information. It covered the length and breadth of Ireland from Ballycastle to Cork. Isn't it interesting that the island of Ireland has a cork at the bottom? I think that's interesting. Now, it's a proven fact, and facts are stubborn things, that in the 11th century... Pope Adrian IV, the only ever English pope, issued a papal bull that ordered, instructed Henry II to invade Ireland and bring the Celtic church, remember, a church that's biblical, a church that's evangelistic, a church that's bright for Jesus Christ, in those days, to heal. The papal bull was to annex Ireland and bring it under English rule to pay taxes to the English crown and levies to the Church of Rome. And that's a fact. And you can read that fact, especially in the Encyclopedia Britannica. Now, many don't want to know that. Many don't want to be reminded of that. And that's why I felt it was stupid when I heard in the news today that the uh, Sinn Féin leader, Mary Lou MacDonald, was um, behind a banner in New York that read, England out of Ireland. The English rule in Ireland started under the command of Pope Adrian IV. An English pope gave the order for the annexation of Ireland and the political formal links to be established here. In 1611, if you read the preface to the authorised version, and of course we as a church hold to the authorised version as the most reliable and most faithful translation of the Holy Scriptures, you read the preface. Have you ever read it? King James of England, Scotland, and Ireland. And it was established a way back in the 11th century under the orders and instruction of Pope Adrian IV. And from the period of the 1100s right up to 
the uh, late 1500s, there were some dreadful and dastardly crimes committed by the English in the name of the English king, right up to the days of Henry VIII, whenever he divorced his wife and professed or profaned a conversion to Protestantism. During that period, the people of Ireland were used as a political football and a plaything for many, many centuries. The people of Ireland have always been hostile to the British crown. They've been hostile to English-speaking people. And I want to say sadly, they have been hostile to the gospel. For many centuries, they had no Bible in their language. They had no true gospel light. That They had no missionaries, no real preachers from the 11th century onward until the 1700s when there was a real effort to win them again under the Wesley brothers and the Methodist church. But in the 7th century, listen to me, there was a strong, biblical, bright, evangelical church. And there was many churches throughout the length and breadth of the land. I'm going to tell you that in a moment. And in that church, there was many, many individuals who called themselves saints. And that Celtic church was founded by a young man called Patrick that St. Patrick's Day is supposed to celebrate. And this afternoon, I put together this message. It's hastily put together, I admit that. After I come back from the hospital, even though I had intended to preach on the subject, uh, is hell for real? I leave that to next Sunday and maybe we'll have the rest of our people out and more people will hear it as it's proclaimed. But just for tonight, I want us to try and learn from the life and legacy of St. Patrick. I want you to think, first of all, of his country of birth. Where was he born? I want to tell you that Ireland, young people, was not his ancestral home. He wasn't born in Ireland. It's widely believed he was born in Scotland, although that's disputed. Some say it was England, some say it was France. But we believe he was born in a little village somewhere close to the River Clyde. And in the history of Presbyterianism by Hamilton, he testified that later... There was a church emerged there in that little village linked to Kilpatrick. And of course, Kilpatrick means the church of Patrick. Wherever he was born, he was certainly not Irish. Now think of this. Think of ancient Ireland. And the gospel came to these shores and they were brought by means of a foreigner by means of a missionary who was sent by God with a message. And I was speaking here on Friday night, uh, reading Psalm 126, thinking of verses 5 and 6 that describe, of course, a true missionary work. And he that goeth forth and weepeth. And I was pointing out that um, a person can only go forth with the gospel because he's been sent by God. Could I just remind you tonight, if you're saved and love Jesus Christ, that the Lord has a work for you to do. God has a purpose and plan for your life, young people. You can serve the Lord at home. You could serve him in your home church. You could serve the Lord abroad in a foreign land. Remember Isaiah 
the prophet said, Here am I, Lord. Send me. The Lord had asked, Whom shall I send and who will go for us? And he volunteered. And that's what we need. We need young men and young women that will volunteer with 100% commitment uh, to give themselves to Christ. And here am I, Lord, use me. And if it's at home, uh, working in a factory or working in a farm and being a witness in my uh, home family and, and local town and local church for Christ, then I'm happy with that. But Lord, if you want to call me to be a preacher or a missionary, then, then I give myself to you, Lord. I'm open to your call. I'm available, Lord. I want you to think, secondly, not only his country of birth, but his captivity by bandits. You see, when he was a lad of 16, he was taken captive by a band of Irish raiders. And they sold him to be a slave here in Ireland. And for six years, he kept sheep, probably a few pigs, on the slopes of Mount Slamis. So, so think of a 16-year-old boy, a slave, and he's become a, a shepherd boy. Of course, Mount Slamish is in County Antrim, young people, not very far from Balamina. And if you go to Balamina, you'll be able to see Mount Slamish. It's, it's like a mini uh, volcanic hill. Uh, and the next time you're heading down to the north coast and you're driving past Mount Slamish, and you look, maybe you say to Daddy or Mummy, well, well what, what, what mountain's that? You just remember, if they tell you it's Slamish, that Patrick was a slave there. He was a shepherd boy for six years. You see, God in providence used that captivity to bring this slave boy to Christ. Because he was converted, as we're going to see, on the mountain of Slemish. Hasn't God a strange way of working? In the hill of Slemish, he was physically a slave. But in that very hill where he's physically a slave, he was spiritually set free by the power of Christ in the gospel. He was set free from the power and enslavement of sin. He was set free. He was delivered under a sentence of death because the wages of sin is death. He was set free from the power and control of Satan. Maybe you're here tonight and you're facing difficulty in your life. The Lord has brought dark providences in. Strange ways are happening in your life. You can't understand it. Is the Lord not using those dark providences to speak to you? I, I think of Revelation 3 and 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and sup with him and, and he with me. The Lord can use trials and troubles to direct you to himself where you learn total dependence in him. And, and like Paul, you, you glory in tribulation because as you glory in that tribulation, you, you prove the all-sufficiency of the grace of Christ because God said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. And the Lord can use trials and troubles to, to call you. You see, there's nothing by accident. God is in sovereign control. He is foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. And this lad of 16 who, who left his father and mother's home, maybe to go to their walk, maybe to go exploring, maybe to go and do a bit of fishing. I'd bring home a few fish for tea, mommy. Whatever he was doing, he was uh, captured by a band of Irish raiders, put into a boat, brought across the uh, Irish Sea and sold here in Northern Ireland. His captivity by bandits. I want you to think also here of his conversion to Christ. 
See, I believe that Mount Slamish is really a, a sacred spot for the true biblical evangelical church that's bright for the Lord. Do you know why? Because that's the very place where St. Patrick was converted. I believe he was born physically in Scotland. I believe Hamilton's right. It was Scotland as the place of his birth. But he was born spiritually in the mountain of Slamish. Born again of the Spirit of God in this land. On the slopes of Slamish, just outside Balamina. Isn't that amazing? Let, let me quote his own confession. He says, and I quote, I knew not the true God, and I was carried captive into Ireland. There the Lord opened my sense of unbelief and brought late in life to me remembrance of my sins. And I was converted with my whole heart unto the Lord my God. Notice the word converted. is not a good gospel word. Over there in the book of Acts in chapter 3 verse 19 we read the words. Repent ye therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. When the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now is, is that true of you tonight? Was there a day and time in your life when you were converted? Can, can you testify to that experience tonight? A day when you were converted to Christ. When you confessed, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner by nature and practice. Lord, I need to be saved. Remember what sin is. Sin is only one conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. And if we go by the Bible definition, which we need to in this day, not loving God is sin. Unbelief is sin. All unrighteousness is sin. To know to do good and not to do it, it also is sin. And whenever Patrick said, brought late in life to me remembrance of my sins, he was thinking about a heart that didn't love God, a heart full of unbelief, a heart that was actually unrighteous, and a heart that didn't do good. The word convert means to change. If I convert sterling into euros, a change has taken place. When you think of the change of a person being brought into Christ, the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things have passed away and all things have become new. And in Christ, Patrick learned to pray. And he prayed in Slemish for hours. And, and, and there... As he prayed, his love for Christ was increased. And, 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 and he felt at times that he was being overwhelmed by the Spirit of God. And in that very place, not only was he in Christ, but he started living for Christ. And he did it through the strength of Christ. After six years, when he was 22, Patrick escaped. Somehow, I don't know how, in God's providence, there was a ship sailed back over the um, Irish Sea and back home. You can just imagine the reunion. Think of the excitement of mummy and daddy. Here he is escaping from the wrath of his taskmaster, his, his, the wrath of his slave owner. Just imagine if he'd been caught, he could have been put to death, he could have been branded um, with, with, with some iron or, or whatever but he had already escaped 
the greater wrath of Almighty God. Remember, the Lord Jesus said, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? Well, there's only one way, as to be found in Christ. And he was in Christ. And, and, and he was living for Christ. And here he is, heading home. You just imagine the excitement. I want to tell you something else, fourthly. Think of his call to preach. Whenever he was a boy back home, 22, 23, and his parents were glad, and no doubt they talked about that he wouldn't leave them again. And, and you can just imagine uh, his, his mother in particular keeping a special eye on him. But like Paul, whenever he was back home in Scotland, he heard a call to preach. Look with me at Acts chapter 16 now. It says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. And after he had seen the vision immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Here's Paul, and the Spirit of God has suffered him not to go into Asia. The door was closed. He came down to Troas. He spends time in prayer. And that night a vision came to him. And the vision was that there stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, come over into Macedonia and help us. And Paul believed that God, the Holy Spirit, was directing them to take the gospel into Greece, to Macedonia. Here's Patrick. He's back at home. And in the night he had a dream. And he dreamt the man came not from Macedonia, but from Ireland. And that man had letters in his hand, and the letters were entitled, The Voice of the Irish. And as he read one of the letters, this is what it said, We entreat thee, holy youth, to come and walk henceforth amongst us. And from that moment, he understood the call of God in his life. He believed that God was calling him to full-time service. Now that I'm in Christ and I'm living for Christ, he's calling me to serve him. And you know, he came back to Ireland not as a slave, but as a preacher of the gospel. He came to these shores as a servant of Christ. He came to Ireland really as the land of his adoption. He came to these shores to exercise a solidly biblical evangelical ministry. And I just want to ask again tonight, if you have received the call to salvation, have you ever heard the call of God to serve us? Is God calling someone to be a preacher? It may take a number of years, but if you've heard the call of God, you'll be obedient or a missionary. Or as I've said, a helper in the church. We need young men. We need young women in this church who are totally 100% committed. Believe this is the place that, that God has brought them to you. And I would say to you tonight, if, if God is speaking to you, young people, obey his voice. The Lord wants to use you. He has a wonderful, special plan for your life. And part of that plan will include a, a burden for souls. And Patrick had a great burden for souls. I think of our considered Christ team working in the Republic of Ireland. We recognize there's a great need. And in the midst of that need, at the heart of that need, is those that have a burden for souls, that want to win men and women, boys and girls and young people to Christ. I want you to think, fifthly, in this life and legacy of St. Patrick, the church that he founded. You see, Ireland, before he came, was really religiously under the control of the Druids. The Druids were a very, very superstitious, idolatrous group of people. 
And to the Druids, Patrick brought the light and the liberty of the gospel. And in this land under God, he founded biblical churches. He didn't found a religious order on the instructions of the Pope. He knew the Bible. He quoted the Bible. He preached from the Bible. You get a copy of his confession. And then not only was there establishment of biblical churches, but in those churches there was preaching and teaching. Those churches became confessional churches. Let me give you one little illustration. To the Druid kings, whenever Patrick confronted them with the great truths of the gospel, he held up the shamrock. Now the shamrock was a good tool and an example that Patrick used to illustrate the doctrine of the Trinity. And I'm well aware that it falls far short of illustrating the great truth of three persons of the one Godhead. But his tactic was this. Here's the heads of the families. Here's the kings of the tribes of the Druid. And if I'm going to win these people uh, to the cause of Christ, then I must reach the leadership. So he went to the heads of the tribes. And he he spoke to the heads first and told them why he had come and who had sent them and what he was going to say and teach. He believed if the leadership got converted, then the people would follow on. And he started with the knowledge of God. He started with the fact that God is, and I emphasized this this morning to the boys in the Bible class or in the Sunday school. God exists. As the true and the living God. And and here's what he's like. And and we're dependent and accountable to him. And and, and one of the things that Patrick said he is like. He he, he is three persons in one Godhead. He he would have told the Druid kings. The father planned redemption. The the, the son um, executed the plan of redemption. The spirit of God applies the great plan of redemption. This is what he would have said. That without the knowledge of the doctrine of Trinity. There's no true gospel. There's no true church. Without the knowledge of the doctrine of the Trinity, you cannot be a true Christian. And and I reject the Unitarian church for that reason. I I reject the teaching of the Jehovah Witnesses and the Mormons and the New Age movement all for that particular reason. Whenever we offer prayer, who do we pray to? We pray to God the Father. And how do we pray to God the Father? Through God the Son. We, We come in his name. Whatsoever you ask the Father in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. And how do we ask in the name of Christ? By the Spirit of God. We're born of the Spirit. We're indwelt by the Spirit. We're led by the Spirit. We're prompted by the Spirit to to pray. And And this is only one aspect. The Druids in those days worshipped the sun, the moon, the stars, etc. And Patrick, he pointed them to the living and the true God who subsists in three persons, three persons in one Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And it's all there recorded in his confession. This was a a biblical church. This was a a church that preached and taught the, the great confessions and fundamentals of the faith. Could I tell you something else? It was an evangelical church. Patrick was a church planter. You think of the towns that bear his name, bear witness to the fact that that he once walked in these island home of ours. 
Lake Patrick, Temple Patrick, Down Patrick, Crook Patrick, Inch Patrick. It was the great late Dr. Paisley that preached a sterling message many, many years ago. It's on the internet. I encourage you to hear it. And this is what he preached. That St. Patrick was a Protestant. He was definitely not an emissary of the Pope. He came because he was sent of God. And when he came, he came to establish a biblical church because it was centered in the Bible. And the preaching and teaching was the great fundamentals of the faith, including the doctrine of the Trinity. It was an evangelistic church was reaching out the whole length and breadth of the land. And I want to tell you something else. It was an orderly church. Here's the church that he founded. Do you know there's evidence that the ancient Celtic church was Presbyterian in government? Let's just stay with the facts. It's all there in the confession. He established 365 churches. And later on, that number was added to, before his death, to 700. And the nature of the church is very important because in each church, there was a bishop, and I quote from the confession, a bishop for every church. Did you know that the word elder and bishop is used interchangeably in the Bible? You see, that Celtic church was marvelous in the sense that it was Presbyterian in the form of government. And I just think to myself that this is what Ireland needs today. A biblical church that is preaching and teaching the old confessional truths revealed in the scriptures. That's evangelistic in spirit and that's ordered for good governance by the head and king of the church. That's the church he founded. Very quickly, think of the commemoration of life. The 17th of March, St. Patrick's Day, you all know that, don't you? I had actually forgot that this week until I was reminded. Now, why, why, why the 17th of March? Why not the 17th of May? Well, here's the answer, young people. Do you know the answer? That was the day he died. There is a lot of dispute that he died either in 465 or 493. But regardless of what year it was, it was the 17th of March. That was the day he died. And he's buried in Downpatrick. And in the 1900s, there was a very large stone boulder put on the site Uh, which is supposed to be the final earthly resting place of St. Patrick. That just reminds me of this. One day we will all die. There's no evidence he wore a mitre, carried a crook, banished snakes out of Ireland, because there were none. He was not the patron saint of Ireland. Do you know how I know that? Do you know what a patron saint is? A patron saint is one who intercedes in heaven for a nation. For a people, for a place. That's not the teaching of the Bible. The Bible says, for there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And the Lord Jesus was the only mediator. And and that's what Patrick preached. And and to, to say that he's the patron saint of Ireland is wrong. It's unscriptural. There's no evidence he was ever beatified or canonized by the Pope. We have to commemorate his life. We could call him St. Patrick, but he was not the patron saint of Ireland. And just as there was one day when he died, there's a day whenever you and I'll die. And I want to ask this. 
what way will you die? Will you die in Christ? Will you go to be with the Lord, which is far better? Or will you die without him in your sins? One final thing. His coronation to ponder. I asked a question at the start. It's a couple of minutes to eight. How did he become a saint? Let me ask this question. Who are the saints of God? Is it a small group of people that are singled out? Venerated, deified, and canonized by one of the popes. Turn in your Bible there to Romans chapter 1. Look with me at verse 7. Romans chapter 1 and verse 7. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me read one other passage. There's many passages that we could turn to in the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi, with the bishops and the deacons. Do you see that? It's very important. Every believer, including the bishops and deacons, they were saints in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament saints too. The Bible talks about Saint Aaron, the brother of Moses. Are you a saint tonight in Christ? If not, you're a sinner. And, and there's no hope for you without Christ. Who are saints? Those in Christ. What way do they become saints? Well, if you go by Roman Catholicism, it's a lengthy process. Did you know it cost about £200,000? You have to get a petitioner to verify it to the Pope or the authorities. There's a panel of five judges appointed. Then you're declared venerable. And then you're beatified. That's usually about 50 to 100 years after you're dead. And then, of course, there's the process of canonization. And that has to be established with two or three miracles and uh, holy relics that you have blessed, that people have been uh, healed uh, by. And you know, it's a false gospel. Because the Bible tells us it's not by works of righteousness we have done, but according to his mercy, he has saved us. It's not by our doing something, because the work's done. And the message from the cross is this, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. And the word believe means to trust in, to adhere to, and rely on. And, and that's the simplicity of the message of the gospel. And I want to finish. When does one become a saint? See, the Church of Rome teaches long after you're dead. 100 years, maybe 200 years after you're dead, after this lengthy process has taken place. Cardinal Newman, who was an Anglican, professed to be Protestant, he converted to Roman Catholicism, I think it was 1890. And it's only... In the 20th century, I think it was about 2007 or 2008, it, it might have been 2010. Over 100 years after Cardinal Newman converted from um, Protestantism to Catholicism, he was beatified and canonized by the Church of Rome. Could I just finish with a statement? If you're not a saint before you die, you'll never be one after you die. 
You'll never be made a saint long after you're dead. Why? Because there's no salvation beyond this life. The Lord Jesus said he has power on earth to forgive sins. Pardon on earth is now. Behold, now is the accepted time. Now is the day of salvation. And think of Patrick's coronation. I think of the day he died and welcomed home to heaven. And he was a saint in Christ who had lived for Christ through the strength of Christ. had gone to be with Christ. And, and his eyes behold the king. And why was he there? Because he's in Christ. And what way? By simple faith in Christ. And when he became a saint, the moment he was converted. Listen again to these words. Paul and Timotheus, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, which are at Philippi with the bishops. You see, they're ready alive. In the church, witnessing for Christ, living for Christ, believing in Christ, they were declared to be saints. I've given you something tonight by way of a little sketch of the life and legacy of Patrick. I pray we'll learn from it. We'll apply the lessons. And tonight, if you want to be a saint, you can be, but you have to trust Christ. May the Lord bless you this evening. Thank you for coming. Thank you for listening.